0: Episode 2 The Ties That Bind My father, Francie, was a boxer, a middleweight. He had a punch, a real wallop of a right hand. But he didn't spend too long studying the Queensbury rules. After knocking one opponent out, he stayed put, standing over him in the ring. The referee had to tell him to go to a neutral corner. Francie had never heard of it before. There are details of some of his fights in Chris McNulty's history of boxing in Donegal. It's great that they're down there in black and white because his the memories have been lost to the fog of dementia. My brother Paddy was a boxer, a welterweight. The boxing club in Glencolum was long gone by the time we were grown up, so he came to it late. First lacing gloves with Ealing Boxing Club after he'd moved to London to work on building sites. Paddy ended up writing about the sport too, interviewing many of the greats of the 1980s and 1990s. We have the pictures at home. Paddy with the likes of Chris Eubank and Steve Collins and Barry McGuigan and Michael Watson. One of the most brutal fights of that era was the one between Nigel Benn and Jared McClellan in 1995 at the London Arena. McClellan was left with life-changing injuries. In 2011, ITV showed a riveting documentary about the two men, The Fight of Their Lives. I was sitting at home watching it when I jumped out of my seat. The documentary showed some of the footage of the fight and at one stage, panned to the crowd. A camera zoomed in on my brother Paddy. It was a jolt to see him as he passed away from cancer in 1996. He was 26 years old. I lived with him at the time in London and one of the abiding memories of the blurred week afterwards was a visit to the local news agent in Hanwell. I'll never forget how upset he was when I told him I was cancelling Paddy's subscription to Boxing News and explained the reason why. Boxing is part of our family story. It's part of many Irish families stories. Think how the teenage fights of Roy Keane and Lee Neeson have been mythologized, But there are great Irish boxing stories too that should be better known. The story of Frankie Kerr is one of those. Brian Kerr is seen as the quintessential Dublin football man. He was obsessed with the game from a young age and quickly realised that coaching rather than playing was where his future lay. Kerr made his mark in the League of Ireland with St. Patrick's Athletic, taking them to two league titles. He moved on to manage the Ireland underage teams, taking the under-20s to third at the World Cup in 1997, and he won European Championships at both under-16 and under-18 level a year later. His underage success secured him a shot at the Ireland senior job. He is now a respected football pundit in Ireland, But Kerr was always a boxing man too. That's due to the impact made by his father Frankie. Frankie Kerr, a native of Belfast, was a special talent. If things were different, he might well have been Ireland's first Olympic boxing medalist. He was that good. He won the trials to go to the 1932 Olympics, but at 16 it was decided he was too young to travel. Ireland boycotted the nineteen thirty six Olympics in Berlin, and a year later Kerr, who was Irish champion six times, took bronze at the European Championships in Milan. There were plenty of complaints over the decision, but the odds were stacked against Kerr, as his son Brian explains.
1: We boxed in nineteen thirty seven European Championships in Milan, and he, he, he was beaten by a son in law of Mussolini, as I understand it. And uh, again, by all reports, and we have reports from the newspapers at the time would say that he he was very hard done by in the decision that, in fact, using the old terminology, he was robbed. But interestingly, the um, Italian association minted a medal specially for him, which awarded him uh, um, the title of the most scientific boxer at the championships. And I think that was a I mean, again, he never spoke about it, but I think the fact that it was around the house and still around the house, <laughs> around my house, that he 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 was quite proud of that one. But amazingly, that wasn't the end of his trip. That was those, those that that was in Milan. He then went from there to uh, on the train, on the boat to Paris fought and fought in Paris on his way home. And I have a a little. Postcard from Paris with the Eiffel Tower in the background, with a with a note to my mother. He was about to get married, and he had a little kind of a personal note to her about plans for the wedding. And then at the bottom, in a different color pen, where he he had said in on this card, I, "I'll see you soon. I'll be home on Tuesday," which was probably three or four days away. But on the, on, at the near the bottom of the card, in a different different color pen. He'd written, one easy tonight, see you soon. (laughs) It it, it kind of gives you an idea of the the lifestyle and how um, difficult it probably was getting around because there was also a letter, which is in in our files, from the IABA at the time telling him that if he won in Milan, that he would then be going to America (laughs) to box against the American champions from Milan to America and that he wouldn't be home for I think it was six weeks I, you know, how did people survive at that time as regards their work, uh, their employment, their employers and deal with those situations it, it must have been remarkably difficult but um, also shows maybe why he retired so early um, well, well, you know, he had already he had already a young family he had a full time job yeah, uh, I he, he was in Premier Tailors at that stage, walking in in a shop, which would have been um, a six day week. And um, he was obviously trying and hard. He was playing. I think he was playing with a bit of hockey as well, actually, at, at a fairly high level. But he, um, so you know, I I kind of understand why. Why well, he retired uh, so early, but he did get a lot of offers to, to turn professional, and he was offered he, he was offered money to return when the boxing stadium was opening in 1939. The following year, he was offered a substantial amount of money to box on the opening night, but he he, he turned it down and didn't. I again I don't know why, whether it was on principle or what it was, but he never went there.
0: Trace the history of professional boxing from the late 19th century onwards, and it's largely an American history. That history is one of immigration. It's the reason why Irish names were so dominant in the first 50 years of the sport as a professional one. The connections are everywhere. John Ford was an Irish American, and his most popular film in Ireland was The Quiet Man. Who's the main character? Sean Thornton an Irish-American boxer played by John Wayne. It was another Irish-American, Jimmy Cannon, who came up with the infamous description of boxing as the red-light district of sports. The links to immigrant communities have always been there, as Dave Hannigan, a writer and lecturer in history in New York, explains.
2: There's a kind of a socio-cultural or socio-economic thing here, where the you know the, the ethnicity that dominates boxing are the most recent immigrants. So we have you know the Irish dominated boxing. That was also at a time when the Irish fought for the U.S. in in wars. Like the Irish immigrants fought, they enlisted and they fought for the American military. And it's the same now. You know now it's a Hispanic sport, and who's fighting? You know all all of the the uh, the U.S. military. The most common name in, in the U.S. military now is Rodriguez. You know because that's who's fighting. Your immigrants come in, they they, they adopt boxing as their sport. And they fight your wars, like that's been the story I think of, of American you know of America over the last hundred hundred and plus years:
0: Ever hear of a boxer that went by the name of Marty O'Brien? He was born in the Sicilian town of Catania near the end of the 19th century and moved to Hoboken, New Jersey while still in his teens. In those days, the Irish ruled the east coast of the USA. They ran the building unions, the police force, the town halls and the Catholic Church. Our Sicilian friend fancied himself with his fists, so went down the route of many hungry immigrants, taking up professional boxing. The Irish loved the fight game, so he called himself Marty O'Brien to try and curry favour. After six fights in which he was knocked out five times, he walked away from the ring. His real name was Martin Sinatra. And his son, Frank, turned out to have quite a voice. Martin Sinatra was far from alone. Many other aspiring boxers played the Irish card, according to Dave Hannigan.
2: The Irish in boxing became so synonymous that a lot of Jewish boxers would have fought under under Irish names. You know, which is, there's no better way of illustrating it than that. You know, this would be like if we had an Irish prospect in New York today and he called himself Sanchez. You know, he fought under the name of, of you know, uh, Ruben Sanchez to be marketable as, as a fighter and as a live prospect. You had to take, I mean, the, the Lithuanian heavyweight who I can't pronounce his name in, in the Lithuanian, but Jack Sharkey, Jack Sharkey, who, who was named after Sailor. I think he took the name Sharkey from Sailor Tom Sharkey, who was from Dundalk um, and he was from Dundalk and he was from like 50, 60 years earlier. But. You know, the Irishness was a selling point. Irishness was a selling point. So if you didn't have Irishness, you faked it, you adopted. And and that will tell you the grip, the influence, the marketability of the Irish in the sport. Certainly the first half of the um, 20th century. And even, you know, even later on, like always, Irishness remained marketable. And Ireland is synonymous with the birth and the growth of of organised professional boxing.
0: Boxing in Dublin has a great and proud tradition. There are people involved in the sport in the capital at all levels that are exceptional people. The impact boxing makes is often undervalued. In the most deprived areas, boxing clubs have been a beacon of light for decades. Many kids are kept on the straight and narrow thanks to boxing. Ross Whittaker feels that many boxing coaches in the amateur game are effectively unpaid social workers
3: the young men and and more so and more and more women that now come to the club, you know, the the coaches are an ear for them and and they'll ask them how their life is going and they'll kind of have an eye on them, I suppose, you know, and they can tell very quickly uh, in those kind of, those boxing clubs are often very tight and um, small and, you know, you can't really kind of escape to a corner of them. So they can tell very quickly what's going on in people's lives, I think. And they're very alert to that. And I think that they know, certainly in, in, the, in the boxing clubs I've been in, they know what role they can play in, in helping people. You know, that's what they're, that's, what I suppose, what they feel that they're, they're there for is, you know, come in here and we'll give you a way of living. You know, it, it's, it's tough. If you're going to make it in boxing, you know, you have to be incredibly dedicated. But yeah, absolutely. The coaches seem to be there to kind of help you with your entire life, uh, not just with your skills.
0: To Brian Kerr, boxing is a sport full of local heroes. That includes the likes of Aidan Walsh and Jason Quigley and Eric Donovan, Kelly Harrington. But it also includes coaches and trainers who are largely unknown outside of the sport. They do the work on the ground working with kids that many other sports have left behind. They've reached out to immigrant communities and travellers too. Frankie Kerr was one of the founders of Drimna Boxing Club, a club that produced Ireland's first Olympic champion in Michael Carruth. Brian Kerr is a regular visitor, and he's always taken by the great work that goes on away from the limelight.
1: What is it? a social work element to it and that it's such an inclusive place. I mean this would apply to boxing clubs all around the country. They're rarely in the most fashionable areas of the, of towns or cities. They're rarely um in, in 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 places where there's an awful lot of money around. They're usually kind of um kind of hidden in the background somewhere of a of a I'd say socially the pride might be a, 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 a little bit harsh, but generally, in, 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 certainly not in the upper-class areas of, of towns and cities. But they're highly respected for the work they do because of the inclusive nature and the common decency, I think, of the of the coaches and the people that get involved in them. They know that they might provide, uh, they may be lucky enough to provide an odd champion here or there along the way. And In some cases, some clubs have been very successful in doing that. But they're more likely uh, to be appreciated by the community for the fact that they take in a, a lot of kids who, you know, and thankfully now it's about boys and girls. They're taking in kids that might be outside, um, probably less likely to be involved with other sports because they they struggle for whatever reason to stick with the discipline that might be required in ball games or the personalities involved in team sports. And they find boxing is 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 a is an outlet for them for their for their own particular needs. I look at the teams now and I look at results and I see a lot of names popping up now of some of the people who have come to ireland the names of families who have come to Ireland over the last fifteen twenty years and I kind of go that's nice to see isn't it I'm not saying other sports and other games about that, but boxing has an attraction I'd say particularly for a lot of the, um, former uh, Russian, uh, parts of Russia, parts of USSR, those types of states, Latvia, Lithuania, the Balkan countries, Poland. And and, and then also you've got a lot of lads from a travelling background, which historically in boxing, they've always been part of boxing, but they've often produced some some of our best champions. And I think for those reasons, it's a very, very important sport in Irish culture.
0: Across 30 years in journalism, some of the most vivid memories are boxing ones. Nothing will match the thrill of being in the Excel Arena when Katie Taylor won gold at the London Olympics. All of us lucky enough to be there were part of living, breathing history. If I were to list out the most memorable and enjoyable interviews of my career, many of them would be with boxing people. It's a sport full of good people. People with amazing stories to tell and who are willing to tell those stories. But that can mask us to a harsher reality too. Boxing is also full of sharks. It's dangerous to idealize the sport. All of human life is there, including the nasty side. Even some of the greatest sports writers brushed over that part of boxing. Dave Hannigan feels that access can be both a good and a bad thing.
2: I think there's a, a sentimentalization of it, definitely a romanticizing of the people in boxing. And then belatedly, we look back and go, oh, actually they did terrible things and they were terrible people, they, but they were all great storytellers, a great character. Like I'll give Ali as an example. Ali was a terrible person in many ways. He did some terrible, said some terrible things. Like he was a very flawed character. and And I guess that's what makes him so compelling to somebody like me. But again, it's the same in boxing. These are not always well-rounded together individuals. Very often, you know, they're flawed, they're scarred about from where they come from. And yes, as a sports writer, I think when you interview somebody and they are nice to you and you, you know, have have some sort of you know relationship with them, you are inevitably sucked in a little bit. You are inevitably you go easier on them. You you will always consciously or subconsciously take their side when when covering them. I think that's just an unfortunate byproduct of the the relationship between the the writer and the subject, especially in sports journalism, where access is a big thing. You know, access access to the stars or to the to the subjects is, is very difficult. And when you get it, you're you're then unlikely to jeopardize it by writing something or maybe you don't want to jeopardize it by writing something that might alienate them.
0: Before he made it his life's work to scare the living daylights out of people, Stephen King worked as a sports writer for the weekly enterprise newspaper in the US state of Maine. On being offered the job, King told the editor that he knew very little about sport. His editor, John Gould, cut to the chase. These are games people understand when they're watching them drunk in bars. You learn if you try. Gould's view chimed with those of plenty of others. Those who work on the sports beat have never been able to fend off the barbs that they work in the toy department. The lack of coverage of Daniel Kinahan's involvement in boxing doesn't help. It is, by any stretch of the imagination, one of the biggest Irish sports stories ever. So why have the Irish sports media been so reluctant to cover it? Some tell me that it's down to fear, that it's not worth riling up potentially dangerous people. But crime journalists get on with telling the story without blinking. They have no invisible suits of armour, they recognise a story that has to be told. Covering boxing isn't just about cheerleading and doing a bit of hollering when someone in a green vest wins an Olympic medal. The dark side of the sport has to be covered too. Right now, many feel the dark side of boxing has an Irish accent. Patrick Connor is a student of boxing history. And I asked him if the dark side of the sport is part of its appeal.
4: That's actually a really good question. Um, I suppose it might. Um, I think perhaps less so now in the day and age of uh, where media and kind of movements and things like that are very fleeting, very quickly moving. Um, But I think that there is some appeal, yeah. But you also have to remember... Boxing being what it is, being essentially just a way for a way to move money Um, because anybody can have a fight. Anybody can go fight wherever. But this is a grand, you know, it's there's a lot of fanfare. There's a it's a big circus. And so it winds up just becoming a a way to move large amounts of money. Um, So, you know, it, it, it really it makes sense that this is all going together here.
0: David Cloubert's beat is largely a crime one. And that was how he ended up digging into Kinahan's involvement in boxing. His experiences are familiar to anyone who's tried to dig into it. Omerta, shut doors, closed mouths, an unwillingness to engage at all. There are plenty too who reach for the catch-all excuse. That's boxing. There's an apathy or indifference. To many boxing fans, all that matters are the big fights. If Kinnan helps make the big fights, they don't care who he is or what he is.
5: One of the the reactions when I I wrote about my investigation on Twitter was, um, so what's the news? Um, They wrote, boxing has always been associated with organized crime, the mob in the United States and so on. Um, So I don't know if it's a surprise that boxing um, attracts people with a criminal background like Daniel Kinahan, but um, as I said, I started my investigation more from the uh, looking at Kinahan's involvement in organized crime, and that was his role in international drug trafficking. I read a lot about the the kinahan feud, about all the violence and the killings the Kinahan organized crime group, um, as they call it, officially is responsible for. And 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 having this background, um, I I was surprised to learn about the the role of Kinnahan in boxing, and and to see um, all these important promoters and power brokers defending Kinnahan, like Bob Arum, Frank Warren, and as I said, Kalle Sauerland. Um, I have it here what he said more or less. I think that's interesting. He said, "I'm not only." I not only work in boxing with him, but I'm very close with him outside of boxing. Very old friend. And you know, there's a lot of bullshit out there. We are in an age of sensationalist crap and everyone laughs against the story and the shit that's out there. So yeah, and that's more or less what other promoters also say. And so they are not only doing business with Kinahan, but they also help him to, to whitewash his... His reputation they they defend him and um, yeah maybe maybe it's not a surprise that it's it's boxing and, and not another sport that uh, is associ- associated with uh, guys like Kinahan, but yeah even if, if there were other cases in the past I think it doesn't justify in any way what's happening now and I think it's very damaging for boxing as a sport
0: the alphabet soup of pro boxing is something that makes it harder to exclude characters like Daniel Kinnehan. If you have a problem, who do you go to? With so many governing bodies, it's a mess. Kurt Emhoff has been involved in professional boxing for 25 years, as a manager of world champions and as an attorney in New York. The lack of proper governance is something that has long-energized Emhoff.
6: You see in other sports you see much more structure where not only do you have, you know, a league that sets rules and has a commissioner that enforces the rules, but you also have uh, unions and players associations that have very strict regulations as to who can represent the athletes in their sport to try and keep unsavory people out and try and keep it as professional and, and, you know, keep keep the representations with as much integrity as as they can. Um, you just don't have that in in boxing. There, there's no FIFA. There's no NFL. There's no um, you know Major League Baseball. There, there's there's nothing. There's only local boxing commissions. And in the United States, there's fifty different states and there's fifty different commissions. <laughs> so and and even more than that, because there are um, Native American reservations that. Have they have sovereignty here in the U.S. So they have their own commissions. So there's more than 50 commissions, um, and they're they're not really that they're somewhat coordinated, but not very well coordinated. And they have some regulations on who can who can claim to be a manager of a fighter, but you can get around that by being an advisor, where where you don't have to become licensed by the commission. And you don't have to go through the criminal check, assuming the commission even does a criminal check on uh, on prospective managers. Um, so in that way, with boxing, with really no barrier to entry and no proper supervision, pretty much anyone can represent a fighter. Like if a boxer says, this is my guy, this is the guy you need to talk to to negotiate fights, the promoters have to deal with that. You know, I mean, especially when you've got fighters of the caliber of Tyson Fury and and Billy Joe Saunders and the many other fighters at MTK is signing if if they say talk to Daniel if you're a promoter you want to use that fighter you got to talk to Daniel Keenan
0: according to surveys the two most popular sports people in Ireland are Katie Taylor and Kelly Harrington RTÉ have presented an Irish Sports Person of the Year award since 1985 the first winner was Barry McGuigan Five times the award has gone to boxing, more than anyone in soccer, or GAA, or rugby, or horse racing. That's an indication of the standing that boxing has had in Irish life. But the sport's image has been badly damaged because of the associations with Kinahan That affects boxing in all sorts of ways. It makes it harder to attract sponsors. It may well make parents think twice about letting their kids get involved in the sport. Brian Kerr is convinced that the Kinnaghan link has really hurt Irish boxing.
1: Professional boxing in Ireland uh, has had a, a good profile, going back to uh, Barry McGregor and Bernard Dawn and, and their great successes and Michael Calute having a go. With it. and the, oh, more recent times, we've had a, a few more champions. But there's the, stuff that's going on. um in relation to starting starting out, or I appear to start out with the whole regency uh, way in, has had a, a, a no, has, has has done enormous damage. I think to the image of the sport in the co- country. I think the the media coverage has generally been around um, the fact that the the this whole outbreak of violence and and killings and shootings. We started off from a, a, a weigh-in at a boxing event and that some of the perpetrators in that were involved in uh, continuing it and are involved in in the promotion of boxing and the coaching of boxers. Uh, it seems mostly outside Ireland now, but still, there's a reluctance of people, I think, to to... I suppose follow it and support it because of that. I mean, we've not had, we've had very few professional boxing events now as a result of that over the last number of years. There's been no major boxing in Ireland. And unfortunately, uh, Katie Taylor hasn't boxed here. She's boxing outside the country all the time because of that. So, which is remarkable because there's a lot of love for Katie Taylor in Ireland, as as there is for some some of the male boxers, Frampton. Um, for instance and, and, and yet you know we don't have we don't have any professional boxing events here, in our, here well certainly in the Republic of Ireland anymore or if they have been they've been very very low key indeed I think there, there may have been one down in down in Gay's Club in Gym at one time at a very low key event but other than that I, I, I haven't heard of any any uh, professional boxing events which is very, very sad, which is obviously because, you know, there's a, there's a threat, there's an insurance issue, there's guard uh, guard advice from the guardie and the authorities. So, you know, it, it's ha- had a, a, a fairly vicious effect, I would say, on boxing. But it's also meant that, you know, there's a lot less interest in it. And the, there's probably less young Boxers with the potential to do very, very, very well, being inspired to get involved in it. Um, I see, you know, stuff like uh, is it Jason Quigley is boxing with a world title, soon. He's, ba- he's been based in America, he's based in England, and anyone that seems to be getting into it, they seem to be based abroad now. Irish boxers, think, we are based uh, 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 abroad, um, and it means there's less opportunities for Irish coaches as well to to work. In, in, a, in a decent living in the, in that in that part of the game.
0: In episode three of Shadow Boxing, we look at the rise of Daniel Kinnahan in the pro game. How did he become so powerful? Who helped him along the way? Shadow Boxing is presented and written by Kieran Cunningham and produced by Kieran Bradley. Thanks to all the contributors and to Chris Heaney for additional music.